Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, welcome home. We're glad you're back. Some of you who are first-time visitors are saying, what? Um, last week, for those of you who may be new to, to River Bluff, um, we, uh, we do something annually. We, we, we have a celebration that we call Kingdom Sunday. And so last week, we didn't do this here. Um, we shut the doors and locked them. Um, and we sent our church out to other churches in the low country that we believe are our co-partners in the gospel. We don't believe for a moment that we're the only show in town or the best show in town. Um, we believe that we are one of the outposts that God has planted in this unique part of our city to demonstrate and declare the beauty of the gospel. And that's what we do. And so last week we went out to say to other churches, we are in this together. We love you. We thank God for you. We thank God for you in your struggle like we struggle. We thank God for you in your celebrations. We thank God for the goodness and the difference you're making in our community. We thank God for you. And our people gave their tithes and offerings there last week and blessed that way. And I hope you've come back with some ways we can pray for the church you visited in. Um, because we want to continue blessing those churches, finding ways to do that. We know that some of you uh, went and God touched your heart maybe, and maybe God's calling you there for some season, maybe permanently to be a part of that work. Uh, we have people do that every single year when we do Kingdom Sunday. We, we sometimes have to give away our best for the sake of the kingdom. And it breaks my heart. It breaks our hearts. Um, but at the same time, we know it's for, it's for his glory, not ours. It's for his glory and, and for the, the goodness of the world. And so if you find yourself in that, please don't just slip out into the night. Um, if God calls you somewhere, let us know. We want to celebrate that with you, uh, the goodness of God. Now, I, I, I hope some of you are going to be here next week. Um, I, hope it, I hope he doesn't send everybody somewhere else. Um, I hope you're going to be here because there's still a lot of work that God has called us as a family to do. Um, and, uh, you know, it's... It's us together as a family. So one of the things that we are doing today, we are, we're bringing to conclusion uh, the series that we've been in this summer that we've entitled Gospeling. And we've had the privilege of, of hearing stories from so many of our people who have been out demonstrating, declaring the goodness of God, the gospel, uh, in so many ways. We've heard about transformation that's taken place. You know, everything from our students who uh, went and served uh, right outside of our nation's capital, repairing homes and sharing the gospel with uh, the homeowners and with, with others in the neighborhood. We, we, we heard from one uh, from among us who went to Madagascar, Africa and there worked with her, her kids who were medical missionaries there and were able to report what God's doing there. Uh, we heard from the team that was in Bayamo, Cuba uh, working with the church planting movement there that God has given us favor in and trying to bless there and understand more of how we can do that in the days ahead. We had one one who went on medical mission to Myanmar, uh, worked in an orphanage there, and uh, others who just recently got back from West Bengal, India, uh, working with church planters trying to encourage uh, that movement there. Uh, we had one who shared uh, this summer about an experiment that she's trying to uh, be a better neighbor. She's calling it neighboring in her community over in Northwood Estates. And uh, just we, we've heard great stories, and we're going to get to hear some, some more this morning uh, in just a few minutes about uh, ways that we can engage, all of us can engage in the gospel locally. I'm going to introduce you to a, a, a kind of a new friend. She's not a new friend uh, to us, but she's in a new role uh, in, in her work and in our relationship uh, at River Bluff with Oak Brook Elementary School, and you'll meet her in a moment. Um, but we're, we're also going to spend some time looking in God's Word this morning, so I hope you're, you're ready for that because I think it's going to be, be a great day. And to get the ball rolling, what I'd like to do is to start um, with a short video that tells a little bit of the story um, of where we've been and uh, where we're going as part of a movement in our state. If you'll run that video, folks. 
We want to see every life saturated and transformed by the hope of the gospel. And what better way to engage an entire generation than in our local schools? So we developed Heart for Schools, which is an initiative birthed by South Carolina Baptist to have every school in our state connected with a church that serves them and brings hope to every child. And so as churches begin to form these real relationships with schools, they end up with this incredible platform to reach an entire generation with the hope of the gospel. We're praying for a movement of churches all across our state to care for the community by loving their local schools. Do you know what the number one indicator of success in a child's life is? What would your answer be? Would you say, I'm making a profession of faith by the time they're nine years old? Getting them in church or children's ministry programs? That's what I thought. But you know what? I was dead wrong. The number one indicator of success in a child's life is their ability to read at grade level by the time they finish the third grade. If they're not reading on grade level, they take those statistics to decide how many more prisons they need to build to house these students because if they're illiterate, they tend to make poor choices because they can't read. I want to see every child in South Carolina when they graduate be successful. And that's very challenging uh, because some children come not prepared for school and we need help. The message really is to church members is that the local school needs you and they need you to come in and offer your assistance to help them uh, be successful with the children that they have. The overall goal of FACE is to actually partner every school with the church. And what does that look like? Well, it looks different in every county because no two schools have the same needs. I think there are three specific areas that churches should really focus on. One is the backpack program. Churches donate food so that kids who do not have food over the weekends will not starve. The second is teacher support, whether it's during test time, whether it's during PTA sessions, um, whether it's during lunchtime, or even small group reading in the classroom. And finally, reading buddies. How awesome is it for someone to go into a school once a week for 30 minutes to an hour with the same student and that child is excited to see you. The teacher is excited, the school is excited about your commitment and you feel like you're making a difference because you really are. Maybe God is speaking to you right now because you've heard about what other people are doing and maybe you said just like I did, I can do that. I can give 30 minutes a week, I can give an hour a week. I wanna encourage you to say yes to God and it's changed my life and it's changed other people's lives. Say yes to God and give Him a chance to change some kids' lives. It'll change your life and it will take just a little bit of time every week to see what God can do. About four years ago, uh, some of you may know this story, but many of you don't. About four years ago, a senior adult lady in our church uh, came to me um, a few months after her husband had passed away and said, Joe, God's got something for me to do and I don't know what it is, but I want to invest the rest of my life in making a difference uh, for his sake. And she said, can you help me? And I said, yeah, but I don't know what, so let's, let's think and pray together. And shortly after that, uh, a, a local kind of conference came up about uh, being a mentor in schools. And so, uh, we went to that, and it was there that she found her calling, what God had called her to do. Now, God has since called her to another church, um, but that, that began something, the ball rolling. And uh, she ended up at, Fort, uh, at Dorchester District 2 offices looking for a place to begin pushing into this, found out there was a need. We got, uh, at the same time, uh, the, the principal there was saying, we need more partnership in the community. Um, and so God just brought those two together. And three years ago, really, we, we established a, a formal relationship with Oak Brook Elementary School that God has blossomed into some unbelievable realities. And uh, Michelle Whitman leads kind of our coordinated efforts uh, because there are several of them uh, going on there. So, Michelle, I just, if you would just take a moment and explain a little bit about what God's been doing uh, in our relationship with, with Oak Brook and how people can plug into that, if you would. Well, I want to say that after first service, I actually had people lined up to talk to me about helping with various aspects. So I'm really excited and I will expect to see many of you 
um, after this service. Uh, Heart for Schools, our state initiative for matching up elementary schools with churches, is really a three-part effort. And those three parts are backpack buddies, reading buddies, and loving on the staff at the school. And so what is our role there? Well, it all started out with reading buddies. Uh, this will be our fourth year in the school. And what that is is you give an hour a week, really. You go in and you work with usually two children, although I have had more from time to time. And I'm going to tell you, when I walk in that classroom last year, Trent was at the ready. No one was going before him. He was going to have my attention for 30 whole minutes. And it was, gosh, it was such a blessing. But um, so we go in and we read with the kids. We might do a few activities, but we're also in the classroom getting to know the teachers. And I'll be hopefully for the fourth year in Ms. Bowman's room. I just wanted to drop that real quick, but it, it really is a very rewarding thing to be able to go and read with those kids and give them attention from a trusted adult. They're looking for people who keep their word. So if, if that's you, if you can read with the kid and keep your word, then this might be the thing for you. The second piece of that is loving on the teachers and faculty. So we do these bags at the beginning of the school year where they fill out a wish list and we fill those. You can take an apple, fill those with the school supplies that they wished for, and we've only got five left. So. Be very careful, no running in the halls, but make sure you make it back to the ministry center to get one of those out. Well, I want to say something because in the first service we had 21 left. That's right. So don't let them outdo you second service. Okay, Five say, What else can I give? Those bags are due next Sunday, guys, because the following Friday we will have our very first luncheon there with the teachers. We do a couple of those years, lunch and breakfast, and we just serve a big buffet. You might see some pictures flashing up. I don't know if they're doing that this time, but we have a big, uh, we might have a salad bar or a nacho bar, and Chris does a great job of coordinating those things, but it's so much fun. It is so much fun. The teachers enjoy it so much, and we go and do that a couple of times, and throughout the year, you're going to make relationships with your teachers. You're going to start to know things about them and share with them. You're going to get a hug when you come in. You're going to, you're, they're going to ask you to pray for them, several of them. So that's another piece of the pie. And the third piece is backpack buddies. Now what that is, is kids receive a bag of food on Fridays if they need food over the weekend. These kids won't have food over the weekend, so it's simple things they can heat up themselves, maybe in the microwave or something like that. But they get a bag of food on Friday to hold them over until Monday. And we actually really saw God work in that by providing an excellent grant that just, we had this, these backpacks and we met with the, the guidance counselors and they just looked at each other and then they said this is an answered prayer so hearing that was so exciting to be able to be a part of that work and that's the third piece of the pie there yeah amen now um, I want to introduce you to the person to Michelle's left and she's not going to get to talk yet that's why she went ahead and passed the mic she knew that but this is this is Kim Booten and Kim is the new principal at Oak Brook Elementary School so I'm going to ask you to welcome her to Riverboro today yeah and I'm going to save her kind of for last as far as the interviewing goes, but um, she's not new to Oak Brook Elementary School, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but uh, she's new in this seat, so we're going to be praying for you, Kim. Gloria. Gloria Cribben is the one who now leads our Reading Buddies uh, work here at, at, at River Bluff, and she's brought some creative ideas, and God's already doing some really cool things. How can somebody who's not yet in get involved if they want to? What does training look like? How can they do that? Whatever you want to share, Gloria, go. <laughs> well, first of all, we need each and every one of you. We do have quite a few that have responded, and I thank God for that. But we'd also, it seems like every year, uh, right now, the teachers, once they start with the students, they are going to identify those kids that are reading below grade level, and they're going to come up with a list. And we, in our organizational phase here, are, and in the community, are coming up with a list of, of people who are willing to volunteer. So we're going to match them soon and 
The commitment is one hour a week, but we ask that you also commit that for the entire academic year because a big part of this is not just improving the literacy of our students and our, our buddies, but it's building relationships. You are going to get to know these little kiddos. They're going to, I mean, seriously, when you walk in that classroom to meet with them on a weekly basis, they definitely are going to light up and, and because it's, it's special for them. A lot of these kids may not have those one one-on-one -on -one relationships. So we ask that you commit for one hour a week for the academic year, and in that hour you'll meet with at least two, maybe three kids one-on-one. -on -one. Now two weeks from today, which is August 19th at 3 p.m. right here at our church in the afternoon, there's a, there will be a meeting. We're going to have the principal and others from Oak Brook here to answer any questions you have. There's one sheet of paper you need to fill out. If you're unable to make this meeting, not to worry. I know it's the end of summer, it's a busy time. I will get the paperwork to you. All you need to do is reach out to me through the church and I will make sure that your name is on the list, that uh, you're able to get matched with your buddy. You can, um, the teachers are very flexible in meeting your needs as far as a volunteer. Um, you can pick the day, you can pick to a large degree the hour that you meet with them as long as it's not an hour that they have to be somewhere else like recess or lunch. And you can also pick the, the grade of the child, kindergarten, first or second grade. Um, so if you have something that is particular spot in your heart that the Lord's leading you toward, we'll work to make sure that you're matched with your best match you can have. So two weeks from today, August 19th, we're going to be here to answer any questions. If you can't come, reach out to me and I'll make sure you get the paperwork. Amen. Now, one of the things that uh, we also know, we're, th this is a movement uh, in our state, at least, uh, and it's supported by our state superintendent for education. Um, and part of what I believe God has called River Bluff to is to expand this work to other schools to help other churches do that. Jamie, where are you? I saw you. There, there you are. Um, Jamie's a teacher in a school that is saying, we need this kind of help. We need this kind of connection. And so there are, there are other schools out there, and we want to fan the flame of that. And so God may put it on your heart to say, okay, somebody help me think about how to get this started in one of our other schools in our AOA. We'll help you do that. Um, one of the things that God is doing through Gloria's, Gloria's leadership this year that's a little different is Gloria's reach out to some other community organizations and praise God, it looks like we may be doubling the number of mentors for Oak Brook this year, which may mean we may be able to help start some more work in, in other schools uh, in the days ahead. So pray with us about that. I mean, we, we want to bring other churches in on this too, because uh, God's doing something wonderful uh, through these relationships. Um, I want to introduce you to Robert McCartney now. Robert uh, is w one of our, uh, our own. Um, in the first service, I almost slipped up and said that Robert was a transplant survivor. I, I, I caught myself because he's not. He's a transplant thriver. Uh, he, he, uh, it, it's not that he doesn't have struggles, still physically, but he's taken those physical struggles and allows God to use even those to help him think about how to make a difference uh, in the world. And uh, so, Robert, tell us about, you, you know, your kind of reading buddy experience, what God kind of spoke to you, and then how you pursued that, if you would, brother. So when uh, I was 12 years old, I was stricken with juvenile diabetic, uh, as a juvenile diabetic, and um, did pretty well. But through the years, I accumulated some problems, one being diabetic retinopathy, which caused me to go blind in my right eye, and I, I have difficulty seeing details out of my left eye. So, you know, maybe teaching reading wasn't the best thing for me, but I, I felt the need, and I felt the Lord working on me. And... Um, he told me to get involved, and I did. I didn't know in what capacity I, I, I would be able to help. But I requested a, a child with some physical difficulties. And he, he sent me a young man by the name of Braden who had muscular dystrophy and was, had lost the use of his legs and was in a wheelchair. And um, he put us together, and, and it was a miracle, actually, for, for, for I think even me more than him. And... Uh, we, we became friends and uh, through learning about him, I learned that he just wanted to be like every other child. Uh, he loved sports and football and the Dallas Cowboys and, and uh, nature and 
uh, I, I didn't want to go in as an, an, an authoritative figure. I, I wanted to be his friend, and, and that's what we did, and we built up that relationship slowly. Um, he was assigned a Christian lady by the name of Miss Terry who wheeled him around the school every day and, and saw to all of his needs. And I learned about a lot about Braden through her. And uh, it was just a wonderful experience. And I, I'd like to say, um, we talked in our Bible study uh, last week about one of the few benefits about being old is wisdom. And if you're retired and you're looking for something to do, I, I would urge you to take some of that wisdom that you've accumulated and, and share it with some of these youngsters. It's, it's extremely rewarding. And um, as most volunteers will say, I received much more than I gave back. And um, it's a very rewarding experience. Robert, I remembered when you called me and said, you know, you kind of, th this vision that God had given you of, um, and your question was, do you think God could use me to do something like this? And we said, we'll find out, won't we? <laughs> and he has. Right. He has. And, uh, you know, so I, 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 I lay that out there. I, I don't care what, if, you're, if you have literacy issues, you don't have to read to make a difference in a child's life. You can just come be a lunch buddy. You can just do what, what Robert's chosen to do, and that's just partner, get to know them, connect with them, become their friend. Let them know that they matter, that they're special. And uh, so you don't have to have a unique skill set. You just got to have a heart that would be open to, to make a difference in a child's life. And, uh, and, and Robert's changing that young man's world by doing that. And in turn, I think your world got rocked a little bit too, didn't it, It brother? sure did. <laughs> it sure did. It was a wonderful experience. Mm -hmm. And... Um, yeah, I'll never forget that young man. Um, he's not expected to live into adulthood, but I, I don't know what role I play, played in his life, but, but I just, I hope I brought a smile to him and just let him know that there are people that care. Amen. Amen. Well, if you would, let's uh, step into uh, our, our new relationship. It's, a, it's an extended one. We'll, we'll call it that, Kim. Uh, and we're grateful that the Lord has put you in that spot. We've had an incredible partnership uh, at, at Oak Brook and are grateful for the role that you have played in helping facilitate that over the years and are grateful that that's going to get to continue. Um, I, I just wanted to give you a moment to say anything to, to River Bluff that you felt compelled to say and then we'll maybe ask a couple questions or something. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I just want to thank you so much for your partnership thus far. I um, have been at Oak Brook um, for the past 11 years as the assistant principal. I was very lucky to actually start my teaching career at Oak Brook Elementary. I did my student teaching there um, almost I guess over 20 years ago, but um, Oak Brook ha has a very special place in my heart. Um, my child goes there, um, but the staff and the students and the families are just very special. Um, River Bluff has played an amazing role in the fact that, you know, in our classrooms, our teachers work extremely hard to touch each and every child, but you can never have enough of people who are boosting confidence in children, letting them know that they are so important, and giving them the confidence to believe in themselves, not only academically, but socially. And so we have been very, very lucky in that we have had at least two people um, per classroom for kindergarten first and second, but the more volunteers we have, the better, and that's the more lives that we are touching. Um, as far as our staff goes, they could not be more grateful. They told me they would be happy to come up and get on stage with me today, but I knew there wouldn't be enough space up here for them. But um, they are just eternally grateful for your support and your encouragement um, through the supplies you offer to the luncheons and breakfast that you host for us. Um, we, we just are very, very blessed to have you supporting us. Kim, one of the things that you know, I think we're all always curious about is when, from your seat, uh, what do you see as, as the difference that's being made in, in, in maybe the lives of the kids or, or maybe even faculty and staff? It, what, what, uh, just what kind of tangible things would you say that you've seen over the, the past three years with us? 
you know, um, just the smiles, the encouragement, the belief that the kids come out knowing that they can do. They will run up to me and show me work that they have done. Um, they'll share with me books that they want to read with me, that they have um, read with their mentor. You know, teachers, of course, they can't get over when you when we come in with the bags and, you know, the breakfast and food items. You know, those always make everyone very excited and happy. But um, and what means the most to me is seeing the children encouraged, the teachers encouraged, and just the love in our building. It's really changed the culture of Oak Brook because we're able to touch a lot more people with more support. I didn't ask this in the first one, and I, I meant to. Some people, jobs, will not really allow them to, you know, to show up to, uh, during school hours of the reading. But are there after-hour ways that volunteers can connect and help? And, and what can what could you imagine for us that way? Well, you know, we have a lot of PTA performances that take place at least once a month where students are performing, different grade levels perform. I think, you know, um, I can get those in, those times and dates out to you because just having a large crowd to watch performances is very encouraging. Um, we're bringing back a gardening club this year, so I don't know if anybody has any kind of gardening expertise, but we're definitely wanting to do a little bit more in that area. Uh, yay! Hey! Great! Awesome! Are, now, um, I'm just curious, are we talking about flowers or like tomatoes and cucumbers? We're wanting to do a little bit of both. Okay. We um, started a butterfly garden um, two years ago actually, and so we were out there um, weeding that a little bit um, just the other day, but we want to spruce that up. We have, um, I would love to see each grade level maybe take on a different vegetable or certain area of the garden that they can tend to and I think any kind of support with that. Um, we have a running club that we host and a 5K that we put on um, in February where we can all, we're always looking for running buddies. So those are just some ways. I had um, someone come up at the end of the last service wanting to do copying and cutting out and you know those are always things that teachers love and appreciate. So um, just any way that you feel you can offer support, we are more than more than grateful. Now you have you have a new seat on the bus. You're, you're kind of the, the, the in, in the lead seat this year, um, and and I know you already know that's changing things for you in lots of ways. If you knew that a group of people like this would be praying for you throughout this academic year, could you could you describe? Could you just say, here's how I, you know, if you, if you were just just me and you, and you say, Joe, here's how here's how I'd ask you to pray for me this year. What would you say? I would just say to continue to help me guide children so that I can continue to inspire my staff to encourage and build the confidence in the students so that they can have the ability to believe in themselves and to give their very best. Okay. Well, we're going to do that now. Again, we prayed for you in the first service, so we're going to pray for you again. And I'm going to ask, because we're touchy-feely sometimes, we're just going to ask you to let those ladies lay their hands on you, and, and we're just going to pray together. Join, join me as we pray. Father, we come as your church, the church that you've put in this place for such a time as this, the church that you've connected, uh, God, I believe, divinely. Uh, not by human effort, but from above, to connect with Oak Brook Elementary School. God, I thank you for Kim. I thank you for her heart for children in this community. I thank you, God, that she, she sees them and she sees their families. And, and God, that, that word that she has asked us to, to pray for for her is that she would inspire her faculty and staff to build confidence in kids. And God, because I've had the privilege of walking the halls and, and hearing stories, I know that kids show up there from homes that were broken and this exist in extreme ways. And many of them show up lacking confidence in themselves, lacking a sense of self-worth and value and God you've put Kim there to lead a movement to instill that these kids matter their lives matter they're they're wonderful and beautiful God we see them as created in your image 
and loved by you. And so, God, we come and we pray for Kim. We pray your hand of blessing on her uh, protection. We pray your peace to fill her heart and mind and her family. God, we pray that you would meet every need that she personally has as she seeks to lead uh, a movement to bless the, these little lives. And, God, we thank you for the partnership, the ways that you allow us to, to be a part of what you're doing there and the expressions of love that we get to both give and receive. And, Father, we, we ask for even more. And we pray that you would give us wisdom to know how to steward this well and maybe even extend it in the lives of other principals and, and staff and faculties. Start a movement, God. And, uh, again, I just ask for your hand to be on Kim, and we give you thanks now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would, uh, thank these folks for, for sharing today. We're going to let them get back. And because most of them sat through um, the first service, um, they may be leaving, and that's okay. Um, I want you all to know that. Uh, so no shame whatsoever. No shame. And uh, again, thankful for, for agreeing to share. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. I appreciate you're having me. <laughs> Certainly. All right. Um, I've got a couple of things that I want to share for you. I'm trying to get these microphones situated this morning uh, before we leave. And one of those has to do with kind of this, this question, why, why do we do what we do? Why, why is it that we're, that we're engaged in the things that we've been engaged with and celebrating um, this, this summer? Uh, in India or, or in our nation's capital or just, just wherever in, in, in a neighborhood. Why, why do we do those? And as I thought about that this week, I thought that there were two things that came to mind. Two very, very simple reasons that we engage and, and go out for the sake of doing good. And the first simple reason is because of simple trust. Just, just very simple trust. We trust what the Word of God tells us to do. We just trust the Word of God. If God says, go do this, go live this way, we have come to believe as followers of Jesus that it is the best way to live. And so we simply trust in God's Word and we go do that. Psalms 37.3 says this. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. We're called to do it. Trust God and do good. Uh, and this, this theme is all throughout the Scriptures. It's Old Testament and New Testament. God through the prophet Isaiah said this. He said, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression. Through the prophet Jeremiah said, God said, work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you. Pray to the Lord for its welfare because it determines your welfare. So there's this, in the Old Testament, this vision that God has that his people would engage we would do good. We would seek the welfare. Paul writes to Titus and he tells Titus, in everything, Titus, as you're leading, set an example by doing good. You, you get in there and you do good too. To the church at Galatia, Paul writes, don't get tired of doing what's good. Whenever you get a chance, do it. Do good to everyone. To the church at Ephesus, Paul writes, we're Christ, God's workmanship. How many of you got up this morning? And when you looked in the mirror, after you got that funk out of your eyes, you know, you, you said, wow, look at the workmanship of God. You didn't do that? Man, you need to try it sometimes. Because you are. You're beautiful in the sight of God. You're his workmanship. But now, don't forget this part. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he had planned long ago. God had a plan for the good works that he has set out for your life, for, for you to make a difference through those good, good works. In Hebrews chapter 13, it says, do not neglect doing good. Don't neglect that. Jesus' half-brother, James, said this. He said, dear brothers, what's the use of saying that you have faith and are Christians if you aren't proving it by helping others? He's saying, you, don't, you can say you have faith, but if your faith has not transformed your life to the place where you're out there engaging, trying to change the world, you need to check to see if you really have faith. Because it may not be biblical faith. And that's not to cause you to doubt, it's just cause you to check. He goes on to say, you must do good to prove you've got faith. Faith that doesn't show itself by good works is no faith at all. It's dead. 
It's useless. Now here's the most important reason to me why I think we do good in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says this. Jesus of Nazareth, he went about doing good. Our Lord, our leader, our Savior, he went about doing good. And the truth is, we cannot be his disciples without doing what he did. We can learn what he, what he taught. We can say what he said, but until we do what he did, we're not truly formed as his disciples. We've got to follow him in the doing. First reason is we simply trust what Jesus has called us to do. Second is a simple hope. A simple hope that we may be able to fulfill the great commission that Jesus gave us. The apostle, the, not the apostle, but the, the, the gospel writer Mark records in Mark 16, 15, he said this. Jesus said, go into the world, go everywhere and announce the message of God's good news to one and all. That's God's plan for everybody who follows Jesus. Is that we would go out. We would be his people completing the mission that he began to spread the good news. The, the gospel. And see, we believe this. This is just kind of a, a mantra around here. We believe this. That good works can develop good relationships. Do you know God, God is interested in relationships? God, God wants, God's interested in people. God is not just looking for converts. God's not, he, he doesn't, you know, he's not looking for some new notch on his cosmic belt. God is looking for relationships for people. The Bible tells us that God is building a family. That, that, that he wanted a family. Hebrews 12, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 2.10. You may want to write that down. It's not going to come up on the screen. Uh, but Hebrews 2.10 says this. God who created all things and preserves all things made Jesus suffering perfect. In order that he might bring many sons and daughters to share his glory. In other words, that he might one day bring many sons and daughters into heaven. For Jesus is the one who leads them into salvation. See, God, God is about building a family, a spiritual family. Relationships matter to God. And so they need to matter to us. And we believe that good works can develop into good relationships that can lead to good conversations about the good news of Jesus. That's what we believe that's a pathway. And so part of our hope for fulfilling the Great Commission is through demonstrating, through good actions, the gospel of Jesus. So that it can be proclaimed. Now, here's what that gospel story is. The gospel story, simply put, is that Jesus came to deliver. Is that God, creator God, who's right and good and holy and perfect in all of his ways, decided that he wanted a family. He wanted to, to build a family of people who would love him back, that he could love. And so the Bible tells us that God created the heavens and the earth. And part of that creation was he created mankind. The Bible says he created them male and female in his image so that he could have relationship with them. And he told them to go and, and multiply and fill the earth and have dominion over it. And God gave them the ability to choose. To choose a relationship with him or to reject that. And rejecting that relationship, the Bible, God, calls it sin. And the Bible tells us that the first man and the first woman rejected that relationship by choosing to do things their own way. To cho choosing to fulfill their needs their own way instead of God's way. And the Bible tells us that because of that they were separated from God because that's what sin does. We willfully choose it. It separates us from God. And it leads ultimately to our destruction. But God, because of his great love for his creation, said, I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to pursue them. And God did that. So much to the point that God said, because their sin kills them, because their sin separates them from me, because their sin has to have a penalty, because I'm holy, I can't stand to be in the presence of sin. The only way to get them back is for someone to pay that penalty. Someone perfect. And so the Bible tells us that God sent his only son, his only begotten son, second member of the Trinity, to come down here to live a perfect life. To teach us how, how life can best be lived under God's plan and in his love for his kingdom. And out of that life, Jesus taught and he discipled and he showed the beauty and glory of God. And people hated him for it. 
And they plotted to kill him for it. And the Bible tells us that when he was on the cross, when he was being sacrificed, that's exactly what he was being. He was a sacrifice for us. And the Bible tells us that my sin put him there. That it wasn't just people who were angry. That my sin, this was part of God's plan to, to redeem me, to buy me back a sinner separated from God by my own choice. That, and that God would do that. And so when Jesus was on the cross, the Bible says that God put the sins of the entire world on Jesus' body, on him. Placed it on him. And then he was killed. And he was buried. And he was in the ground. And on the third day, the power of God raised him from the dead. God overcame the penalty of sin and the power of sin through the crucifixion and the resurrection. And then out of that resurrected life, Jesus showed us how we could live in that. And how we could, by doing three things, by first admitting that we had, in our own way, chosen sin. All of us, the Bible says, have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. We've all chosen to do it our way. You know, those of you that knew me uh, before uh, I came to Christ as a teenager, you knew my life was rooted in stupidity. You know, it just was. And it was sin. And that's what I pursued. And God revealed himself to me through Jesus and told me that he loved me and my life mattered. And that if I would admit that I'm a sinner separated by my own choosing from him. And I would believe that what Jesus did on the cross could pay the penalty. So I would no longer have to be separated from God. If I would believe that and trust in that. And I would confess Jesus as my Lord. And I would put aside my way of doing things. That I could be saved. That I could be made right with God. That I could be brought into his family. And the same is true for you. If you will admit you're a sinner. If you will believe that what Jesus did on the cross, that his sacrificial death paid for your sin condition and the choice that you made to separate yourself from God. That if you will confess that and trust in him, that you'll be saved. And you can be right with God and be a part of his eternal forever family. And God's promise is he'll never let you go. You'll never get out of the family again. He'll be with you. Even when you, even when you do like I do sometimes and go back to your stupidity, you know, he'll, his, you're in his hands. And he's not going to let you go. And the rest of the gospel story that Jesus came to let us know about is one day Jesus is coming back. He left and went to heaven. One day he's coming back to make it all right. To fix this broken mess of a planet and a culture and a people. And he's going to restore all of us and to a place and a relationship with him where we'll be in his very presence forever. And there'll be no death or dying. There'll be no sin. There'll be no despair. It'll only be perfection. That's the message of the gospel that God has entrusted to us who believe. We are privileged to take that. And our hope is, our simple hope is, that through doing good, we will be given the credibility and the influence and the relational capacity to share the good news. That's why we do good. Simple trust, simple hope in the gospel and getting to declare it. Now, I want to close this series with this thought about the best way to gospel. You know, we've been using the gospel both as a noun and a verb. Okay, we're gospeling. And so I want to I close this series and I'm going to move pretty quickly through this. So you'll have to fill your blanks in quickly here. But I want to move through this because I believe with my whole heart that the scripture teaches that we gospel better together. That we just do it better together. That's why we do it together is we, we do it better together. To do that, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open them to Acts. And we're going to read from chapter 2. We're going to read verses uh, 40 through 47. Acts 2, 40 through 47. It says, then Peter continued preaching. Now I want you to notice what that means is he'd been preaching. If you go back and you read the other verses in Acts 2, it's part of Peter's message. It said, then he continued preaching for a long time. So get off my back. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. For a long time. Strongly urging all his listeners Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Sin is not new, folks. Its destructive power in our culture is not new. 
going on 2,000 years ago at the start of the church. Save yourself from this crooked generation. It says in verse 41, those who believed what Peter said were baptized. They were added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, being together, and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miracle, miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Verse 46, they worshiped together at the temple each day and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Now, here's what I want you to be captured by. There is a clear teaching throughout the scripture, especially in the New Testament, that we gospel better together. And I'm going to give you just some points on this real quickly of why I believe we gospel better together. We gospel better together, first of all, because Jesus discipled it. That's how Jesus discipled. Jesus, Jesus discipled in groups. And not only did he do that, when he sent his disciples out to disciple, he sent them in groups. In Mark chapter 6 verse 7, it tells us that Jesus called the 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two. Later on in Jesus' ministry, Luke records this in Luke 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. This is 72 in addition to the 12. And he sent them out ahead of him two by two in every town. He sent them out two by two. Jesus never sent people out by themselves. Now that doesn't mean you can't share your faith by yourself, but when you start really making a difference with the gospel in a culture, you need to do it with other people. Some of you know the story about the Palm Sunday, what we celebrate as the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, and that Jesus on that day sent two disciples to get a donkey. Getting a donkey is a one-person job. It doesn't take two people to go get a donkey. But Jesus never sent anybody out to do anything by themselves. Because Jesus knew that we gospel better together. We, we do that better together. A second reason that I believe we gospel better together is because this is how the Holy Spirit directs it. The, the Holy Spirit directs gospeling together. Paul writes to the church at Corinth who was a troubled church. They were confused by lots of things, kind of like us. You know, we needed help and, and they needed help. So Paul writes to them about the Holy Spirit and he says this. He says there are different kinds of spiritual gifts but the same Spirit. And what he, a, a spiritual gift is the way the Spirit who lives in every believer expresses himself uniquely. Okay, so that when it says spiritual gifts, it's talking about the way the Holy Spirit is expressing himself through the life of, of a believer. The Spirit is the source of all of them, all those expressions. They're different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but in the same, it is the same God who does the work in all of us. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes those gifts, those expressions. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The Holy Spirit is directing your giftedness. The Holy Spirit is directing the way he is expressing his life, the life of Christ through your life. And look at what verse 7 says. Something from the Spirit can be seen in each person, each believer for what? The common good. It's not just for your good. It's not just for the good of this church. It's for the common good. See, God's Spirit living in each of us expresses himself uniquely for the purpose of making us more effective at demonstrating and declaring the gospel. We do it better together. Some of you have the gift of mercy. And you look at somebody out there whose life is broken and in pain. And you just long to hug them. You just want to hug them into the kingdom. You just want to embrace them and you just want to pour out mercy on them. And then there are others of us who kind of on the prophetic side are kind of in the truth thing. And we just want to tell them the truth because we know the truth will set them free. Guess what? If the gospel is going to go out effectively, there's got to be mercy and truth. There's got to be grace and truth. That's how Jesus came, filled with grace and truth. I'm not filled with both. The Holy Spirit's not expressing himself that way in me. 
Neither are you. That's why we need each other when we're gospeling. That's why we gospel better together. The Spirit is the one that directs that. A third reason that we gospel better together is because the first church modeled it. The first church modeled it. When you read this story in Acts and you get to the last part of that chapter, it just talks about their, they, they, they met together and worshiped together regularly. And then they met in small groups and homes. They were meeting in these little, little gospel outposts that were, were their homes. And it tells us that they found favor with the entire city. And each day God added to them. God was adding to them in their homes. It was in these small groups where the gospel was really taking place and people's lives were being transformed and changed in the midst of that. Now the people in those homes were devoted to God's word, to the teachings of the disciples. They were devoted to prayer and they were devoted to their community coming to hear the gospel, knowing that. They opened their homes. And that's where people were coming to Jesus, right where they live, work, and play. They didn't have to show up at the temple. They were, they were being gospeled in these small groups. Another reason we gospel together is because church history commends it. Church history commends it. Here's what I mean by that. Historically, when people try to launch out on their own and do the Lone Ranger gospeling kind of thing, heresy happens. That's where heresy begins to happen. And when people try to do it on their own, to try to, try to go it alone, and it shipwrecks our faith. It just, it just wrecks the faith that Jesus died for. See, we need each other to help us stay the gospel course in truth. Because here's the truth about all of us. We all have blind spots when it comes to the whole gospel. We don't all get all of the story perfectly right. And we need each other to challenge one another. So that we stay on the divine course of clearly communicating the gospel to a broken world. Lastly, we gospel together because our AOA needs it. Some of you are saying, what's an AOA? Well, it's back there on that wall. There's a brief expression of that. You can look at it on your way out. But it's our area of accountability. It's the unique part of this community, the Charleston area, that God has said, River Bluff. Yes, River Bluff, I want you to touch the world. Yes, River Bluff, I want you to touch all Charleston. But River Bluff, somebody's got to own the lostness here. Somebody's got to with joy take the gospel to this part of the planet, saturated, choosing to. Will you? And we said yes. We, we, we want to do that. But here's why, here's why our AOA needs it. Because this is where we live, work, and play. And this can be seen there. Look what Jesus said. This, this is, uh, these statements that I'm about to read you are from the night before Jesus would go through his crucifixion. And much of this is him praying. This is the prayer of Jesus to his father of what, what his hopes are, what his dreams are, why he's willing to go to the cross. John 13 verse 34 says this, So now I'm giving you a new commandment to his disciples. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. The way the world sees Christ's followers loving each other sacrificially and generously will prove something about who Jesus is and who we are in relationship to him. Je Jesus goes on that night and says this in a prayer. He said, I'm praying God, not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just like you and I are one. Why? So that the world will believe that you sent me. There is nothing like what Jesus prayed, there's nothing that communicates and shows the power of the gospel to transform like biblical community. When, when people are truly loving each other, it is the greatest testimony of the power of the gospel. And our communities, our neighbors need to see that kind of love, that kind of acceptance lived out in real time. Because many of them are living in a world of brokenness and rejection and shaming and bitterness and broken relationships. And they need to see the power of the gospel to transform. Last night we were up here watching a movie. Uh, Men's and Women's Ministries hosted a movie night and we were watching the movie. I can only imagine. And the storyline of the movie, there's a, this guy through this song, and I can imagine has touched millions of lives. And the, the story is his testimony of how God inspired that song when he saw the gospel 
powerfully change his alcoholic, abusive dad. Changing him and transforming him so much that this man that he hated and really wanted to see dead became the man that he wanted to pattern his life after. He wanted the gospel to transform him that way too. See, the gospel has the power to shape, but our world needs to see that. And they can't do it from a distance. They can't do it because they see you drive to church on Sunday morning. They'll only see it when the gospel's being lived out and affecting lives on lives. We gospel better together. There was a day in our culture when people who were struggling went to church looking for answers. They went to church. And what would happen is they'd go to the church and they would believe. And then we would enfold them and embrace them and they would belong. The world has changed, folks. People out there are not looking to the church for those answers. They're looking everywhere else to start with. They're looking around where they live, work, and play. And for them to get connected to the gospel is going to happen out there. And the roles have been reversed because now people are looking to belong first to make sure that it's the real deal. Last night I talked to a man who prayed to receive Christ this past week. A member of our church, Keith Gabe, led him to Christ. And in our conversation, as we were talking, you know, I told him we're not pressuring him to baptism. We don't want him to rush into baptism or anything like that. Um, just come. And so he agreed, he agreed to do that. And one of the things he said to me is he said, you know, I thought I was just going to come today and get baptized. That's kind of what Keith said I should do. And, and yeah, that's cool. Um, he said, but if, I wanted to shake a few hands first to make sure I would be accepted. It was just a perfect display of people wanting to belong. They want to know that they matter. That they can belong to the movement of God before they find fullness in their belief. And it's true of a world and here's why. Because the world is so broken and people have been wounded so deeply and badly that they're afraid. And Satan plays on that. And they need to see visibly a demonstration of the power of the gospel to accept, to receive, to belong, fully known, fully accepted, even in our brokenness. They need to see that displayed before they can believe in the power of the gospel. And so church, if we're to make a difference, if we really are to gospel well together, we're going to have to do it in little outposts all over our AOA, all over city. People who are willing to open their homes to be gospeling communities. Before we're going to get to see the power of the gospel that we all long for. We all want it. We want to see revival. We want to see the gospel released. I believe God's word shows us this is how it happens. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you because you are our salvation and you are our hope for eternity, yes, God, but even for here and now. And God, we, we, we know we live just as the word said of the first church, we live in a corrupt generation. We live in a world, God, that is desperate for a hope. And you have said that your children, those who have been blessed by the gospel. We're the bearers of that hope. You've commissioned us to take the gospel. So often we think we can do that on our own. But God, I think your word clearly shows us we do it better together. So my prayer for myself and my brothers and sisters, this family, is that we will be a church made up of little communities all over our city. Gospel communities gospel small groups that exist for the purpose not of ourselves but for the world God we need your help we need you to show us how to do that we need you God to move on the hearts and minds of your people here gathered at the river to open their homes to open their hearts to others to do it as groups gathered together for the sake of the gospel going forth so I pray that you would stir in us a movement of small groups. I pray, God, that you would prick the hearts of your people here to go.
Father, I ask you now as we come to this moment in time where we worship you again, where we, where we commit our hearts, where we give ourselves over fully to your plans, where we give of our resources uh, if we're members of River Bluff and commit it to the sake of your kingdom and God and believe that you've called us here to do that ministry that we would bring back your tithe and our offerings. And Father, we, we just want you to remove any pressure that guests may have to give. Uh, that This is for your people here. Father, I pray now that as we worship you with our giving, we would give from our resources, but we would give mostly from our heart back to you, committing to your goodness and your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9.30 or 11 o'clock services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.